Welcome to my podcast. I'm the Laughing Philosopher. Life is complicated. You are complicated. Everything seems to have been figured out, except how to live a happy life guided by wisdom and reason. What does it mean to be a good person? What is love? Who am I before I was told who I am? Why haven't I found myself yet? Why do I have regrets? Is this a just world? Almost from the moment of birth, we've been told how to behave, how to fit in, and how to fulfill other people's expectations. We grow to fear that we will lack importance or cease to exist in the lives of others if we think for ourselves and question the rules and roles that we've been told define us. Only when wisdom and reason removes this illusion can we live authentically in the world around us and become our real selves. Episode number 46. Are you a good person? To be an exceptional person, one must live an exceptional person's life. If there is one indisputable lesson to be learned from the lives of exceptional men and women, it is to think and reason for yourself. Jesus wouldn't be Jesus if he had just followed the crowd. Socrates wouldn't be Socrates if he had just believed what he was told. If Simone Weil didn't think for herself and shine a light in the inconvenient places where other people feared to go, then God would still be alone. Isaac Newton and Albert Einstein accepted nothing that did not agree with their own reason and their own judgment. All my adult life, I have listened to countless sermons in my church, the Catholic Church. I've been told to believe. I've been told to have faith. I've been told to be patient. I've been told to obey. I've been told to endure. But not once have I been told to think for myself. Yet Jesus didn't just think and do as he was told. Jesus didn't just follow the crowd. Jesus made up his own mind. And if you haven't learned this from Jesus, then you've learned nothing. Now, pay close attention. In 1953, in a series of experiments, psychologist Solomon Ash documented the power of conformity and group pressure to extinguish our ability to think for ourselves. Four volunteers were told that they were participants in a vision test. They were first shown a straight line of a certain length to the left 
and to the right, they were then shown several lines of varying lengths. The subjects were asked to choose the line on the right that matched in length the first line. One of the lines on the right was identical in length to the first line, and the other lines were way off by many inches. So the correct answer was clear and obvious, and the other answers were just as obviously wrong. However, all but one of the four subjects were actors and confederates of Dr. Ash. The confederates were instructed to give the same obviously incorrect answer. So, did the test subject think for himself or herself and go against the crowd? The crowd that was clearly and obviously wrong? Well, whenever three of the Confederates gave the same wrong answer, then one out of three test subjects, one-third, followed the group against his own better judgment and also gave the same incorrect answer. Sound familiar? Even when the joke is not funny, you laugh with the group. Even when you know you have the right answer, you doubt yourself or keep your mouth shut if it's unpopular. Even when you know it's wrong, you go along for the ride. Just imagine how much more that one-third grows when the right answer is less clear and the truth is less obvious. Imagine how much more group pressure increases when the answer is more important and consequential. Imagine how much more inclined you are to conform when you will lose more than you will gain by dissenting from the majority. In other words, when the group jumps off a cliff, then so will you. Everyone thinks of himself or herself as a good person. In order to choose to go on living, this core belief is as necessary as air. That's why you are so surprised and so confused whenever bad things happen to you, a good person. Inevitably, you are tested, and only then do you find out how good you really are. Until you are tested, you never really know. Just ask Peter. He denied, not once, but three times, that he had ever met Jesus. Again, pay attention. Psychologists John Darley and Bib Latine in 1968 
conducted an experiment to answer the question, how good is the Good Samaritan? The psychologist separated a group of subjects in individual rooms connected by intercoms. As the subjects engaged in conversation with one or more other people, one of the subjects, an actor and confederate of the researchers, faked a severe epileptic seizure. If the test subject believed that he or she was the only other person in conversation with the victim, then 85% immediately left the room to seek help. However, if a test subject believed that four other people were in the discussion with the victim, then only 31% attempted to seek help once the seizure began. The other two-thirds of the subjects did nothing and just assumed that someone else would seek help for the victim. Just imagine how much less responsible you feel with 10 or 20 other people. And so does everybody else in the group. Just imagine if you know that nobody is observing you. Just imagine if the person in need is a stranger or an enemy. In other words, the Good Samaritan is not as good as he believes he is. When he or she is tested, the Good Samaritan just needs the slightest excuse to turn his back on the suffering of others and do nothing. Just like Peter. Does Christianity make a difference? Are you a better person? Is your community and your society a better place because of the influence of religion? Let's find out. In 1973, psychologists John Darley and C. Daniel Batson conducted an experiment to test whether Christianity has a positive effect on helpful, altruistic behavior. The test subjects were a group of seminary students preparing for ordination in a Christian ministry. One half of them were assigned to author and deliver a sermon on the virtues of the Good Samaritan. The other half were asked to give a sermon on job opportunities in the priesthood. Both groups were given differing amounts of time to prepare their sermon and then to travel way across campus to another building to deliver their speech. Some subjects were intentionally pressed for time and were in more of a hurry 
and some were not. On the way across campus to give their sermon, the subjects were forced to encounter a person slumped against a wall in a filthy alleyway, barely able to stand up, obviously injured, and clearly in need of help. The injured stranger in need was an actor and a confederate of the researchers. The result of the experiment was that the subjects who had studied the Good Samaritan story and prepared a sermon on how Christ-like it is to stop and aid the needy did not stop to help the injured stranger any more often than the subjects who had prepared a speech on job opportunities. If pressed for time and in a hurry, only 10% stopped to help the needy stranger. Only 10%. Even when they were on their way to give a sermon on why Jesus wants us to stop and help the needy stranger. And these were seminary students. In other words, it's less demanding and more convenient to lecture other people on why they should behave like Jesus' Good Samaritan than it is to spend the time and go through the trouble to actually touch a filthy homeless person yourself. Jesus was a busy person. There are many stories of him doing many different things. He was a teacher, a philosopher, a revolutionary, and a criminal. Yet, there is not one story of Jesus inflicting or attracting harm to another person. But his followers? Well, that's a different story. And here it is. In 1961, Yale University psychologist Stanley Milgram conducted a famous experiment to test how far an ordinary person will go to obey an authority figure. The test subject was told that he or she was a researcher and that his job was to give a memory test to another subject in another room. The test subject was told that whenever an incorrect answer was given, then he was to press a button that would deliver an electric shock to the subject in the next room. The test subjects believed that the electric shocks were real. The shocks began at 45 volts and increased in severity 
with every wrong answer. Each time the button was pushed, the subject in the next room would increasingly shout, scream, plead, and beg for the test subject to stop. Actually, the shocks were fake, and the victim was a confederate of the researcher and an actor. At a certain point, many of the test subjects began to question the experiment and wanted to stop. But each time, an official-looking scientist in a lab coat reminded the test subject of his responsibility and ordered him to continue. Most of the test subjects followed orders. They continued to deliver shocks of higher and higher voltage, despite the victim's screams and even after the victim began banging on the walls and pleading about his heart condition. After more shocks, the victim was silent and no sounds at all were coming from his room. The test subjects were convinced either that he was unconscious or that he was dead. So at this point, how many of the test subjects continued to deliver electric shocks? Between 61 and 66% followed orders and continued to deliver stronger and stronger electric shocks up to the maximum voltage of 450. Even after the test subjects believed that the victim had died. Normally, 110 to 230 volts is enough to kill a person. Yet, the test subjects didn't even begin to object to the experiment until they reached 300 volts. Exactly 0% complained about the experiment before that point. In 1972, psychologist Charles Sheridan and Richard King replicated the Milgram experiment. This time, the test subjects were ordered to shock a puppy every time a mistake was made. And this time, the electric shock and the puppy cries were real. Exactly 20 of 26 test subjects followed orders and continued the experiment to the highest voltage possible. Almost 80%, almost 8 out of 10 people would torture a puppy to death if they were ordered to by an authority figure. They would torture a puppy, they would torture you, and you would probably torture them.
That's the power of an actor in a plain white lab coat to force obedience and conformity to authority from an ordinary, decent person and extinguish a lifetime of morality. Just imagine the power of a police uniform wearing a badge and a gun. Jesus doesn't seem to make much of a difference. We fail to think and reason for ourselves. We follow the group even when we know the group is wrong and even off a cliff. We ignore the suffering of others if it's inconvenient and do nothing if it's convenient. We deceive ourselves that if we don't help, then someone else will, even when we know it's a lie. We prefer to obey authority and follow orders to do what we know is evil, rather than to refuse. Think for ourselves and do what we know is right. Are you a good person? You are probably not as good as you imagine you are. And you are probably as bad as you imagine people who are different from you and your tribe. Hi, I'm Dr. Robert Corey, the Laughing Philosopher. Thanks for listening to my podcast. I've devoted my professional life to the intersection of sociology and philosophy, where the contemporary problems of life meet the ideas and convictions of the greatest human minds. Join me by subscribing to the Laughing Philosopher as we use reason and wisdom to explore big answers to the most important of all big questions, how to live.